0: looks just like the one next to it and the one next to that and the one next to that a young couple live in it give Ken a kiss <laughs> you are so lucky. with their three children <laughs> and something more sweetie remember last night? Do you remember when you woke up and you yeah. said you here? Uh huh. Well, who did you mean? Who's here? TV people. Something's funny going on here next door. Something, uh. We were wondering if maybe you had experienced any disturbances lately. What kind of disturbances? <laughs> for this house. I've never sensed anything like it. That thing is in there with my baby. There are hundreds. Now Steven Spielberg crosses a frightening new threshold into a world within our own. Its form is revealed. So I'm just going to let that theme sink in because it is just freaking terrifying. Welcome back, guys. That's right. We're looking at Poltergeist <clears throat> remade and redone, but we're not talking about that shitty, awful remake today. We're going to briefly kind of just go by it, but we're going to talk about the original, the 1982 classic uh, that's right I um, really excited about this one because um, I really like this film and I just think it's kind of cool that we're diving into another um, you know kind of crossover between two big name directors um, you know and kind of another just controversy with you know just filming schedules and well in this case a little bit more it was actually like a write-in that he wasn't allowed to film but Either way, there's still a bit of controversy around that altogether. Uh, pardon me. So, getting started, um, just want to let you guys know, I mean, um, research-wise, we're diving in with two different books today. Um, Horror Cinema, which is kind of a wrap-up um, from the uh, Tashin um biblical universities i don't know they have several different issues but this one in particular looks at horror cinema so we use that one today as well as horror films faq by john kenneth murr highly recommend this one um in fact, really, any of his works. Um, I just find they're really good overall views um, and looks at everything. Um, so just just good to have um, if you're an overall fan of the genre. So, um, all right. Looking at Poltergeist, it's a 1982 American supernatural horror film and um, directed by Toby Hooper, although that trailer gives you the odd suspicion that it's Steven Spielberg. Um, no, no. And we'll talk about that later on. Um, So he only wrote and produced the film due to a uh, clause in a contract because he was filming E.T. at the time. Um, So essentially he picked Hooper to direct it after watching Texas Chainsaw. Um, And uh, it all has to do with that lovely scene of Pam walking towards um, the Texas Chainsaw house. When Spielberg saw this, he just fell in love and he knew he had to work with this guy. Um, so, uh, essentially he first conceived this dark horror sequel to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, um, entitled Night Skies, um, and essentially approached Hooper to direct. Um, but Hooper was less keen on the sci-fi elements, um, and more about the ghost story itself. So, um, Spielberg and Hooper then decided to collaborate, um, with an idea and essentially this is where you came up with Poltergeist so they set it in the California suburbs, um, you know, focusing on this family, which we're going to dive into being very Spielbergian, um, and, uh, essentially, you know, the malevolent, malevolent ghosts, um, that, uh, possess the house and, uh, eventually end up abducting the young daughter. So, um, released June 4th, 1982, and the film was a huge, major, and critical commercial success um, and becoming the eighth highest grossing film of 1982 um, and uh, essentially is considered a classic within the horror genre and has gained a huge cult following. Um, you're looking at it. I'm one of them. I'm happy to be a member of the poltergeist cult. It's just freaking wicked. Um, when And we're going to talk a little bit more about it. I mean, for 1982, um, when you take yourself back to that time and you're looking at this film, it's mint. So, um, and this film sadly did spew out some sequels and a remake, which we'll talk about in a bit. So for those of you that don't know the plot, go do yourself a favor, watch this movie. It's just overall really, really, really good. Um, I mean, we have Steven and Diane Freeling, typical Spielbergian family. Like I said, that's mom and dad. We've got our three kids, Dana, Robbie, and Carol Ann. And they're just, you know, that picture picture Perfect Kodak, Hallmark cards, everything's nice and neat and tidy kind of family. Um, and essentially, they move into this beautiful new home in Orange County, California, um, and essentially discover you know that this house isn't all it's cracked up to be. So waking up one night, they find Carol Ann conversing with the family's television set. Um, of course, it's with that infamous static where we later will hear her say, They're here, Um, which, sorry guys, I just love to mimic. So many times TV has done this, and I've seen it so many times over. So when I finally got old enough to figure out where this was coming from and what this was all about, it, uh, you know, it, it just, it all came together, you know, this. The circle was full. So, um, like I was saying, the family, you know, they're here. Literally, they're here. The family starts going through bizarre events from, like, Glasses of milk spontaneously breaking, silverware bending, furniture moving, um, you know, typical poltergeist behavior, um, uh, for those of you who are paranormal fans, um, and, uh, essentially later, I mean, it, this does seem to intensify once the tree comes alive and tries grabbing Robbie. Um it's a pretty violent scene. And eventually poor Caroline is then sucked through a portal in her closet. Um and uh, basically her voice is emanating through the television set um when it's turned on to an empty channel. So of course, what do you do? Um when you're kid has been sucked into a tv um you know what do you do who do you call you can't get the Ghostbusters, so we've got some parapsychologists um dr lesh ryan and marty um you know they come to investigate and basically determine that we have a poltergeist intrusion um and they need a little more help so um essentially they uh, also discover um that Eaten in exchange um, with uh, Steve's boss, that they're actually built on an old cemetery. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, you know, creepy. And uh, from there, essentially, um, Dana and Robbie are sent away for the house from safety, and they call on uh, Tangina Barans, uh spiritual median, and one of my personal favorites in the film. She's like, just like this little Edna. But anyways, um... She basically determines that the ghosts inhabiting the house are lingering um, from a different sphere of consciousness and essentially they're attracted to Carol Ann's life force and that these spirits... Um, you know, are distracted from the real light that has come for them. Um, and essentially adds that there's also a demon known as the Beast and Carol Ann under restraint in an effort as trained to restrain the other spirits. So from here, we come up with this elaborate idea to rescue Carol Anne. You know, Mum does the whole rope around this belly, runs into the portal um, and uh, essentially, you know, is able to retrieve her. And then, of course, they drop through the portal opening in the ceiling um and uh, they're both unconscious in this ectoplasmic residue um and in this moment tangina proclaims that the house is now clean and just so that for those of you that haven't seen the original and have only seen that god-awful piece of shit remake um i'm gonna leave it on a little bit of a cliff note I mean, essentially, the nightmare's not over. I mean, we found out from Steve's boss that we we're on a cemetery. It's that infamous line, you know, you moved the headstones, but you left the bodies. Or something like that. I I hope that's right. Um, but uh, anyways, you know, and essentially from this moment, the house makes one last attempt um, at uh, essentially unleashing hell. And it's one hell of a conclusion and at that point I'll leave it at that but the one thing I will say is that poor pool scene involving um mum uh Jo Beth Williams or Diane Freeling those are real skeletons um Craig T Nelson was the one to bring it up you know and great skeletons but why do you have to make them smell and uh, it was actually the prop guy who said well it's not me they're they're real." <laughs> And poor Jo Beth, of course, she did not want to get in that pool. So Spielberg jumped in alongside because she was worried about the electronics. And he said, that's it. If something falls in, we both fry. So, you know, at that point, she was willing to get in the pool. And I think, you know, essentially that really helped kind of add to the whole um, shot at that final scene. Well, I add to the full final scene so wrapping up um like i was saying one hell of a cast C- craig t nelson joe beth williams dominic dune oliver robbins r.i.p heather o'rourke carol ann what a sweetheart truly a little angel and taken way too soon um as zelda uh, Rubenstein, as my favorite tangina Barnes, um and beatrice Strait, richard lawson as dr lesh and ryan uh, martin as Marty, um martin case lee um You know, just this overall incredible cast really brought a warmth to each of their characters, um, which really speaks to Spielberg's side of things and his involvement in the film. But what makes this film really interesting to me is that, yes, you have all of these little Spielberg traits, but what brought all these little Spielberg pieces together is the dark... Imagination of Toby Hooper, and I'll talk a little more about that here in a second. I guess I'm just too eager to get into that with you guys, but um, it's essentially that's what you know makes this film really, really neat to me and really cool and really just overall um enjoyable. You know, it's it's just it's you can relate to the characters, but at the same time, you have this unbelievably dark plot loss of a kid, um, from a parent's side of you, that's awful to lose a child and to imagine losing your child and you can't reach them. You can't touch them, but you could hear them. It, It truly bizarre. And I don't have kids of my own to relate to that, but I can only imagine such terror and, um, horror in your own heart and, and, uh, mind. But as I was saying, um, you know, just a quick overview of what this film means to me. Um, you know, this film is a real look, um, at the, the threat of television. I mean, in the eighties, that's when home TV, you know, just these, uh, the golden age of television really doesn't come until much later. But I mean, we have these, uh, television shows designed to keep you glued at home. It wasn't like tuning in at night or for one particular program. It was tuning in for several programs. We're seeing this changeover in TV viewing habits at the time. And essentially at that point, parents were using it as almost a babysitter, but they didn't want to admit it. So it's, I mean, we, we know it's bad, but we all did it. You know, we sat our kids in front of the TV and I still think that's prevalent to this this day but um essentially this film kind of visits that as an i as a as a threat um the tv itself and uh, from there i think it also speaks to a lot of north american um, values in a north american way i mean we tend to build on top of things and um you know, without actually seeing what's below it, for lack of a better word, it's exactly as the quote says you know, you moved the headstones, but you left the bodies. Uh, very similar to a North American view. Maybe not so much like I'd like to think us Canadians, not so much, but sometimes we can be a lot uh, like a certain counterpart. Uh, sorry, Americans. Sometimes you guys can be a little greedy, but I guess we all can. And, um, essentially, I think this film visits that in a much early, early way, and from a special effects side of view, mint, like I was saying, this is fucking mint it's nineteen eighty two and these guys are literally using every form of special effects available at the time um I- I could make a podcast all on its own from the, you know, the hallway that expands. There's a certain type of camera for that. um, To just the uh, literal, the first attempts of CGI of things spinning around the room. It's just really, really cool. So, um, as I was saying, guys, um, the whole debate of who directed this film. Hooper's name's on it, but everyone says it's Spielberg that was literally behind the wheel every step of the way. Personally, like I was saying, this is a Spielberg story with little Spielberg pieces. You know, like little, if this was a recipe. We have all these little Spielberg ingredients. But it was Hooper that put it all together and you know was able to bake it at three fifty for an hour and a half and actually make something of it um, now the whole reason Spielberg wasn't allowed to do this was of course he was directing e t at the time and with his contract issues stated he wasn't allowed to do two movies at the same point um so of course he brings on Hooper, but sometimes I think when I was reviewing some of the information and just some quotes from people who worked on the set um he did kind of take over behind the camera from time to time. But the mood that's created from the beginning to the very end of this film is Hooper all the way. And then the ending itself, without giving too much away, it's it's not a happy ending. Um, and Notorious of almost every Spielberg film is somewhat of a happy ending. Things wrap up. Look at Jaws. The the shark dies. You know? Um, uh, E.T. E.T. goes home. You know, all these little things. Um, And in this one, it's not happy. I mean, it kind of wraps up, but it's not good for our main characters. It's just kind of a, here you are. Which is kind of similar to Texas Chainsaw. So, I'm probably starting up a whole debate all within itself. Um, And if you do not agree with me, I would love to hear from you on this. Um, You know, especially on my thoughts of, you know, if this is kind of the North American way um, or if, uh, you know, that this is the threat of TV in the early 80s. Whatever your thoughts are, I want to hear it because that's the whole point of film. It's like a painting. You know, we can have different views. We can have different ideas. That's what makes this fun. So as I was saying um, about uh, Poltergeist with the special effects, um, so it was nominated for special effects and ended up actually losing to E.T., Quite a bit when you look at the awards versus um, what came up at the Academy Awards that year. Um, you know, essentially they were nominated and lost ET, uh, and that was pretty consistent throughout the entire awards season. Um, music for this film, uh, as I mentioned earlier, guys. I feel like I repeat myself a lot. I'm sorry, just rambling. Um, I guess that's my day kicking in there. Um, But uh, in the beginning, we listened to Carol Ann's theme. It wraps up the trailer. Um, And it is one unique theme all in itself. Um, In fact, the um, composer Jerry Goldsmith composed a whole bunch for this film. Um, But it's Carol Ann's theme that really stood out for me. It just... it's her, literally little Heather O'Rourke is wrapped up in those notes. Um, and at the same time, it just really sets the entire film, um, you know, going forward. So it's kind of funny to me that in, when this film initially was set out, it received an R rating, I, I don't see it being that scary to get an R rating. But uh, it wasn't until essentially 1984 that Spielberg and Hooper were able to change that over to a PG-13 rating. So um, as I was saying, this was released June 4th, 1982 and had, um, you know, did very well theatrically um, and was, you know, found to have pretty good critical response. Um, The critics, you know, see it as a classic of the horror genre and holds a really, you know, very high rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes of 86%. Um, you know, with one uh, uh, quote saying that the film itself is smartly filmed, tightly scripted, and most importantly, consistently frightening. Poltergeist is a modern horror classic. And I think, you know, that really wraps up my thoughts about the film itself as well. So, as I was saying, this film has been tried to be duplicated and, sequels, remakes um from Poltergeist 2 in 1986, Poltergeist 3 in 88, um and the shitty ass remake in uh 2015. Um the only thing that had going in that film um you know was uh Sam Raimi pr- with uh, production um and Sam Rockwell. That's about it. Everything else was crap. I remember walking out of the theater and everyone thinking it was so good. I mean, yelling at people I was with being like, have you seen the original? Do you know what the original is? Like the clown on the, oh, I don't even want to get into it. It's, it's so awful 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 um so save yourself um an hour and a half and just watch the original now I didn't know apparently there is a novelization by James Caan so I'm gonna have to look this up those of you that follow me on Instagram know that I'm quite the avid reader so um I'm just definitely gonna have to take a look because I guess this looks more at the relationship between uh Tangina and Dr. Lesh than the actual Freeling family which I would personally be more interested in I think that'd be really really cool um and legacy wise guys like I was saying earlier I you know could reference this film long before I'd actually seen it uh thanks to you know the Simpsons family guy American Dad you know this has been duplicated um and kind of made fun of um and uh and definitely referenced because it is so good you know it's to be uh, a, a sign of um of duplication essentially you know as a compliment all in itself so you know for seth mcfarland to reach out twice in his shows definitely says this was one of his favorite films in my opinion so um and just some fun facts uh, wrapping up like i said those skeletons those were uh real kind of gross um didn't realize that heather rourke actually kept the pet goldfish from the film uh and as i said earlier about the electrical equipment joe beth williams was afraid to film um and i didn't realize that the scene where robbie's being strangled by that creepy clown doll he actually did start to choke in one of the scenes uh hooper and spielberg both thought he was ad libbing um and instruct him to look at the camera when he's saying, I can't breathe. But it turns out he's actually not breathing. So he was turning purple, and that's when they decided to cut. So, um, Drew Barrymore was actually considered for the role of Carol Ann, but Spielberg wanted someone a little more angelic. Um, so ended up picking, uh, Heather O'Rourke. But not to worry, Drew, of course, would end up getting a role in the ET, the extraterrestrial. And, uh, for, uh, Spielberg this film actually re- references two main fears of his fear of clowns and a fear of a window out. a uh, 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 fear of a window a fear of a tree outside his window growing up so wrapping up of course guys thank you always for listening um I don't know how you put up with me for so long just rambling on but I'm so happy that you do um you guys make this so worth it I just love talking about horror so I'm just so happy to have you guys to listen um to listen to me (laughs) and uh, as always reach out to me on Instagram and Twitter Um, you can find my uh, handles in my biography and of course guys keep calm, stay creepy and uh, with that in mind I hope you're all surviving the hustle and bustle before the holiday season, hopefully we can have a couple more podcasts before, um, just kind of working on what the next one will be I'm just kind of not quite sure yet if I want to do a holiday theme or not so we'll see if not I'd love to hear from you guys what do you think I should cover next (laughs) Uh, thanks again guys